This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples, and our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. You're about to listen to a podcast episode from an organization called Discipleship for Women, which is led by Joanne Kraft. And this is one part of a four-episode series, and you should know about a related resource to all these, which you can download for free. It's a sample of a book called Dedicated, Training Your Children to Trust and Follow Jesus. This resource helps mothers and fathers disciple their kids at home, and it's available for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Today's episode is called Soul Care for the Disciple Maker, featuring Michelle Eagle. Take a listen. Thank you. I'm excited to be here because this is, this is my bread and butter here. Soul care, if, if we are not taking care of ourselves, we will not take care of anyone else. And if you, I'm assuming that the majority of the people in here are in full-time ministry. Whether you're on staff or you're not on staff, if you are not on staff and you are a volunteer in full-time ministry, amen to you guys, because we could not be in full-time ministry without all the volunteers that are in full-time ministry, okay? All the people that I get to interact with, the home group leaders are, we call them T-groups, but they're basically, basically discipleship group leaders. The people that I get to speak with, the ones that, that I try to get to become devotional leaders, things like that, they are all volunteers, and we um, couldn't do it without you. So I am excited that to be here to talk about how to care for you um, and what it looks like to be healthy when you're caring for other people. Uh, and yes, we will touch on uh, fasting and prayer too, uh, but that'll be all encompassed. But I want to let you know a little bit about myself. First, though, I want to apologize for the weather that you guys have received. And um, thank you. <laughs> uh, that you guys have received. If you are not from Middle Tennessee, all I can say is she's moody. And she has these mood swings that happen, and especially this time of year, we go from 70 on Wednesday. If you, got, if you missed Wednesday, I am so sorry. That was like the best ever, okay? It was 70 degrees. It was sunny. People were eating lunch outside. Like, it was gorgeous. And then yesterday happened. And then you got this morning. So, uh, again, I apologize for her moodiness. Uh, she's like a 12-year-old kind of on steroids, like that middle school girl that you, they come home from school, and you're like, who am I going to get? Like, am I get the nice one that left, or am I going to get the one from last night that slammed the door? Like, which one am I going to get? That's the weather here in Middle Tennessee. I'm from Florida, and so a hurricane, I can actually take a little more easily than I can with these massive swings, because you get two weeks to prepare for the hurricane, right? But here, you get about 30 seconds. But if you blink, it will change, and we'll be back to something beautiful again. But like I said before, I am in the uniform of the, the staff and volunteers here. Our church, um, discipleship.org, was birthed by uh, Bobby Harrington out of our church. And so all of the folks around that you see in these shirts, besides the ones that got to buy them yesterday, but everybody else uh, that is here are our volunteers or it's our staff, and I am thrilled to be able to work with these people. Um, they put this thing on, and they don't mess around. Like, this is, this is a great thing that they do. Our church is not a crazy big church. Um, we have about 550, including kids, on Sundays. 
So being here um, feels like we're a little bit at Disney, too. Um, so if you're from a smaller church, uh, especially smaller, smaller church, God bless you for stretching your resources. I know that it's not easy, and I know we get the budget, and we're like, okay, so how many coffees, how many lunches can I take somebody out to this week? Probably should wait until maybe next month, and then we'll know. But, um, but it, is a, it is a process, and we're all, we're all coming from different places, but... But I am one of you. I am doing this full-time. It feels like 24-7 most of the time. So the things that we're going to talk about, I'm doing as much as physically possible and emotionally possible so that I can stay healthy. Uh, Because if I don't, then I can't keep going. I can't keep doing this, and I won't be available to my family uh, or to the other members of the staff or the church. So so we're going to get started here. Uh, Also, I I write uh, some blogs for Renew. Um, and for Discipleship for Women, which is, there should be a clipboard that'll go around at some point that you can sign up for Joanne's um, uh, site, and she'll send you when those blogs come out and things like that. Um, I did, if you're especially interested in prayer and fasting, just in case I forget to say it later, uh, I did do an article on it for Renew.org, so you can go on there, and there's lots of great articles on Renew.org too, so I will shamelessly plug that, and I do some coaching with them for women leaders uh, around the country. So the same things that we talk about here, I talk with them about when, we're, when we are um, talking on Zoom. We uh, do it all that way. So let's get started. So the reason um, you guys see your handout, you should have one. I don't have one, but okay, there's somewhere. Um, but on the front of your handout is Psalm 23. So the backstory to that, most of you have memorized it at some point, maybe a different version of it, but I put the NIV on there. But what happened was, uh, we went. I went to a staff meeting, the usual staff meeting. Our executive minister. Uh, we usually have a devotional at the beginning of it, and he had chosen a couple of proverbs that were really particularly hard for me to hear because of some old baggage that had had been healed. But still, I really didn't want to talk about it in front of the whole group. And so I had talked to him about it and just said, you know, hey, can we maybe move on from some of these proverbs because. <laughs> Because it's getting a little PTSD-ish every time I come to staff meeting. So he said, of course we can, and he didn't realize that. And so the next week he came in, and I had prayed. We have our staff meetings on Tuesday. So Monday I had been fasting and praying about this particular talk and just asking God, if you do much speaking, you, you get these great things that you know are put on your heart to say, but you kind of want something overviewing to kind of tie it together, Right. Uh, and so I was fasting and praying about that because I had everything I wanted to say. I had it in the order that I wanted to say it. I just didn't have that overarching view. I said, well, okay, if we don't have one, then we don't have one. We'll see. If God doesn't bring it to my mind, then that's okay. So I came into staff meeting that morning, again, with a little trepidation, because what's he going to choose? And, uh, and he chose Psalm 23. And as soon as I looked at the page and saw that it was Psalm 23, God just was like, this is what I want you to use for your talk for, for my people. These are, these are the people that are on my front lines, and I want them to know that this is how I care for them. This is where, this is where I love them well. So we're going to go through it. This is not a theological lecture. Titi did a great job, um, and she gave you all the resources you need. This is a how to stay human, how to stay um, in the right place for your heart so that you can be the best disciple maker you can be, and that it can come from the overflow of your heart and not from an empty place, because I have done both, and the empty place is not pretty. (laughs) It's really not. So let's get going here. We're going to read Psalm 23, and I put it up here, and like I said, I know that most of us have have memorized this at some point, but I'm going to use, but because it's a different version, I'd love for all of us to read it together, and this is one of those things that God told me to do like at 2 o'clock in the morning, which I really wish he would have said it at like 9.30, that would have been great, but, um, but 2 o'clock is when he said it. So um, I think it's going to be really powerful for us to read it together. 
So let's go ahead and get started. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Awesome. Thank you, guys. And I don't know if it was good for you. It was great for me hearing the whole thing, so I think that was actually meant for me. So awesome. I love it. So this looks a little precarious. It's not as precarious as it looks. Uh, but I want to start breaking this down. And this is in Gatlinburg. And I don't know if y'all have been to Gatlinburg. But if you've been to Daytona Beach, just switch out the beach for, for a forest. And you've kind of got Gatlinburg. Um, it's the downtown area is, is lots of places to eat fudge. I don't know. If you, if you haven't been there, you, it won't make sense. But there's places to basically to buy cheap T-shirts, fudge, a lot of restaurants, uh, but if you just go another couple of minutes outside of it, um, you get to places like this um, in, the, in the woods. And so my husband and I were there because he had a conference, and I thought it'd be a great time to work remotely, which is also the beautiful part of sometimes doing ministries. You get to work remotely. And so I took the time to go out, and I was working on this, this talk, and I really felt like I had an idea in my mind. Do you ever do this where you have an idea in your head of where something is, but you haven't been there in like 10 years, and so you mix two places up? Yeah. So that's what I did. So I went to, I got in the car and needed a, knew I needed to kind of drive in there, and I thought I was someplace I wasn't, and so I went further in and got stuck in all this traffic, and then there were no parking spaces where I knew I didn't want to be, but yet I couldn't find where I wanted to be. So I was getting a little frustrated, so I turned around, and started heading back out, and I thought, okay, well, worst case scenario, I'll do this in the hotel room, and pulled over at the last minute, and hopped out and said, fine, I'll just go here, and this is where I ended up, and I love the way God takes care of us, because this is exactly where I needed to be. He had me in the perfect position to be able to be there for quite a while and be comfortable, and to flood my mind with all sorts of things that I needed to share with you all, that I needed to go ahead and let you know about, um, that I wouldn't have gotten if I'd been sitting on a hotel room bed uh, trying to do the same thing. So this is, just to give you a little bit of reference, um, on the other side of here, I'm sure I have a pointer, but I'm afraid I'm going to move the thing forward. Uh, there's a path, and there's lots of people on the path. And right behind me over here is a road, and that's where the cars are kind of streaming by. But I promised when I sat down, I could hear nothing. All I could hear was the raging water going over. It doesn't even look raging, but it, it's not raging, I mean, truthfully. But it is, it is bubbling. Maybe that's a good word. It's bouncing over the rocks. But it was loud, louder than it looks. And, um, but that's all I could hear. Everything else was tuned out. And it was such a wonderful place that God had taken me to to care for me. And he wants to care for you all. He knows that you are caring for his people and he wants to care for you in the same way. Now, truthfully, that wasn't where I wanted to go. It really wasn't. And I was not happy when I put my stuff down and thought, fine, I guess I'll be here. And 
but how much would I have missed out on if I hadn't actually just, fine, I'll go here. And so I want to put that on you to make sure that you are keeping your eyes open for the things that God is trying to cross your path, those blessings that he's trying to put across your path that, that we sometimes don't slow down enough to, to, uh, to take advantage of. And so that's the reason why I want to give you good practical tools. And I like um, sea turtles, so you get a nice picture of my screensaver there too. So the beginning of this says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Well, the first thing I thought of when I, I thought of this, this part of the scripture was the Lord. Well, what are his attributes? Well, the Bible answers God is love, right? God is love. Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not, necessar- not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, we hear this all the time in weddings. It's kind of a cliche scripture for weddings. But this is actually talking about God's love. Yeah, we don't do this very well. We don't do, we don't do four through eight very well at all. But God does it perfectly. We strive for it, but God does it perfectly. And are we actually believing that he does it perfectly and that we have access to that? So in Dallas Willard's book, Life Without Lacking, and I think I've got a couple of references on the back, back page at the bottom, um, he describes it like this. Paul is not necessarily giving instructions on how Christians should live, but describing what God is like. First and foremost, these words describe God's love, a love that is the fruit of God's absolute self-sufficiency. He doesn't need us. The key to living like this is to be filled with the fullness of God. God can love like this because of who he is. And if we are to love like this, we need to be fully immersed in who he is. That's the role of the shepherd. He's able to fulfill that because of his love for us. And so we need to be able to lead into that. When I was um, at that stream, I... I was sitting there and being cared for, and all when I finally opened my eyes, and it did remind me of all the times that he has cared for me. And I think that's one of the things that we forget to lean into when the hard times, when we have those people that are really hard in our lives and those just people we are trying to push along that spiritual journey, uh, we forget how many times he has been there for us because we get stuck in the minutiae instead of getting at the 10,000-foot level. So I would encourage you to either keep a gratitude list or do it so often that it is second nature to, to think about gratitude. If you have to get up early because you have to be, let's say, at a conference earlier than maybe you wanted to set your alarm for, be grateful that you got to see the sunrise because that's a beautiful gift. Those colors don't just happen by accident. So be grateful for those things. Like I'd mentioned before, I was up in the middle of the night, and um, it's just amazing how, number one, Satan gets in your head, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, but God is there. So I got a text from somebody that I disciple who, frankly, is really challenging. She's really challenging to disciple. We get a step forward, and then we get about four steps back, and then we get a half a step forward, and we get about eight steps back, and um, she doesn't always like to hear the truths that I have to say, and so we kind of go back and forth, and, and it's ebbing and flowing and not always in the direction that I want it to go. But she sent me a text last night at 1230, and this is how God takes care of us. I'm going to read it to you. You know, 
I'm sure you do, she puts in parentheses. I actually get upset with you sometimes, thinking, why doesn't Michelle just side with me? And why doesn't she understand my pain instead of telling me to focus on my stuff? Then there are moments when I actually get what you're trying to teach me. I need to love like I am loved. I need to forgive like I'm forgiven. I get so caught up in, in me and my hurts and what I think I need. I know that God is using these trials to redefine, to draw me closer. I need to focus more on what God is trying to teach me and who he wants me to be. This is all far beyond me. It's something much greater. I see that in, at this moment. I may forget it tomorrow. Thanks for being there to keep reminding me. Well, it was wonderful that she sent that to me, and I appreciate that. It was wonderful that God told her to send it to me. That's where my gratitude needs to sit. My gratitude needs to sit in what God is doing to take care of me. All right? Not in my, wow, she learned one of the lessons I taught her, because she's going to forget it tomorrow, y'all. That's just the reality of it. And we're going to fight again next time I see her, and I'm going to say, don't you remember when? And she's going to go, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, but, but that was God taking care of me. When I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and he told me to say something, so I was putting it in the notes in my phone. I saw the text and read it. And so I just want to make sure that you guys are really thinking about gratitude and always having that, that, that turn on things. The best way I can look at it is, you know how everybody... There's always that person that can always find the silver lining. And sometimes they're a little cliche. You get around and you're like, come on, it's not all that good. All right. That's okay to be able to say, you know what, it's not all that good. But, but these are the things I do know. I know God is good. And even if I can't find anything else today, I know God is good and I know he loves me. And there's your gratitude right there. So sit in that. Sit in gratitude. So it's a little bit of a fuzzy picture, and I will say that at one time in the church, um, I was the administrative assistant, and I'm terrible at it, really bad. And Kelly's not here. She's our one of the church right now, and um, so she fixes things for me. And I had sent her the slides just to, to get her to put them on a flash drive that I knew she had. And she said, do you want me to take that watermark off of this or maybe get a better picture for you? And it was so funny. I was so, she was so sweet. I was like, no, they're, they're just going to see me. <laughs> they're going to see me, and that's okay. So, so that's the picture you get. But he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So I want to watch a video next about what that, what that really means because they did a, such a better job than I could ever explain it. And so we are going to watch this next video. I really love the music, right? It gets you into the spirit of the what they're doing. Because the Psalm 23, the Lord leads me into green pastures, has been pictured as belly deep alfalfa. Well, you haven't seen any belly deep alfalfa. 
And from biblical time to today, it's rare to see a flock in the farm country. There isn't a lot of farm country in this culture. And so farmers kept the shepherds out as much as they could. Maybe they would come in a little bit after the harvest to glean what was left, but you don't want sheep where you can farm. This is the land of the shepherd. Right on the hillside across from us, you can see those grazing trails cut there by sheep maybe as long ago as Abraham's time. They're spaced so that an animal on one path and an animal on another can reach right to the middle between them. That determines the distance, so you can graze an entire hillside. And the shepherds lead their sheep across that hillside slowly, grazing what's there. Now, you look at it from here and you say, what's there? In fact, I remember my first impression. I woke up one morning, I was sleeping out in the wilderness, and I remember waking up, watching a flock of sheep on a hillside like this, and my, re my feeling was, what are those, rock-eating sheep? I mean, what do they eat? How can you call this green pastures? Well, the answer is, there's a small amount of moisture present here. They get a little bit of rain every year. Not much, but a little. Second, there is humidity in the air, especially in the evening breeze, like right now, you can feel it. Coming from the west off the Mediterranean, there's moisture in the air. That moisture, combination of the rain and the humidity, condenses or drips along the edge of these rocks here. And if you notice, right around the rocks, almost always next to the rocks, you get little tufts of green. Get one a moment. That's what we refer to as the green pastures. So the shepherd looks for a hillside. That's exactly what she was doing. Look at that flock across from us there. Just stunning. Those two shepherd girls have found a hillside that either was exposed to the wind or had that small amount of rain. And they move that flock across the hillside, and it's one mouthful here, walk a step or two, another mouthful, another mouthful, another mouthful. Now that changes the green pasture image a little bit, besides the picture changing radically. Green pastures are not everything you need for the rest of your life. If you make that belly deep alfalfa, then what God is saying, if you follow me, I'm going to plunk you down and you'll never have to move an inch the rest of your life. Just reach out and grab it. Tell me that your life with God has been like that. Worry, said one rabbi, is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. In the desert, you learn, the shepherd will get you what you need for right now. Ten minutes from now, you trust the shepherd. Just enough. So one of our ministers had seen that and shared it with our staff. And that just sat with me for a while. You know what? Because how often do I want him to provide everything? At least even I I'm just asking for maybe like a week. Not the entire everything, but, but a week's worth would be great. But really what I'm supposed to get, I'm supposed to get today's. I'm just supposed to get today's. And that leads us right into how he refreshes my soul. So when I was at this stream, it's the same stream, I um, told you how all I could hear was the water. I could just hear the water going. It was rushing, and I could hear it being noisy. But you know what? I didn't know where the source was. I had no idea where that source was. It was it's somewhere long way away from where I was. But I never questioned that the water was going to keep coming. 
I never questioned that it was going to run out. Is this water going to run out any second while I'm watching it, while I'm listening to it? No. But how often do I go, is God really in this? Is he really going to be there for me? Is it? I question that. But instead, this water was beautiful. It was rushing. It was moving. But at times, we let the water become stagnant. And when water becomes stagnant, it becomes rancid. It becomes bacteria-filled. It's not good for water to become rancid. So I leave you with the idea that you must keep refreshing your water. Just the way that that video showed us that on a daily basis, you have to refresh your soul. Because we want our souls to be full of, of fresh and alive water. Uh, so where do we start? We told you it would be practical, and I promise it will be. Uh, one of the ways that I do it is through meditation. Meditation can sometimes get a bad rap for the Eastern meditation uh, that may not be in the same light um, as, as ours. But uh, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster does a beautiful chapter on meditation. So I think that's at the bottom of your page, too, so that you can reference it if you want to. But practically speaking, this is what I do. Um, This is what I teach women that I'm discipling to do, especially if they're dealing with anxiety, especially if they're dealing with their mind. I call it spinning, where they're just worrying about the same thing over and over again, and they can't get out of it. They can't stop the cycle, uh, is meditation. So the way, the way that I start is I go up, come up with an idea of uh, the space that I want to be in, and I give myself an appointment. It's got to be on my calendar. It's probably not going to happen. I start with a couple of minutes. For me, if I do five minutes a couple times a day, if I'm in a really tough spot, that is better than one 15-minute spot of time. So five minutes is plenty of time if, once you do this a bit. So that's the first thing I do. Sometimes I use headphones to put some white noise in my ear. If there's one day last week I was trying to do it, actually while I was finishing up these slides, and um, there was a truck that I promise you that garbage truck would not stop going backwards. I don't know if it was going backwards down our entire street or what, and then turning around and going backwards up the rest of the street, but all I heard was that terrible high-pitched beeping that then you can't stop. I often wonder the people that work in the grocery store if they hear that beep in their sleep, you know, as they're scanning things. <laughs> My daughter worked in one for a while, and she said that you could tune it out after a bit, but, but I certainly could not tune out that backing up of the garbage truck. So I would put earphones in, and i just put it on white noise, some good, loud white noise. I don't use music that has words, because that will drive me in a certain direction, um, but anything that will kind of block out the world for you. And then I mind dump. What I mean by mind dump is I have a piece of paper next to me and all those things that are scrolling through your mind, like you have to make cupcakes for Johnny's class tomorrow, which truthfully I would go by the grocery store and get the cupcakes, but either way, we still have to do something about it, right? Or the thing that you forgot to put in the grocery list that, ah, I need to go put that on my grocery list. Or that phone call you need to make, oh, that person put a prayer request in about this. I got to do something about that. Okay, all that stuff, you have got to dump that out of your mind or you can't clear your mind. So keep a piece of paper. Write them all down. You may need to refer back to it, so keep it close. And that's okay if while you're doing this, all of a sudden something pops into your mind about your grocery list. Go ahead and and put it on there. And then I find an affirming phrase that reminds me of who God is. So many times mine will be, you are holy. I do it in the first person because I am talking directly to him. God, you are holy. You are holy. You are holy. Maybe, it's, maybe if, if I'm in conflict for somebody, with somebody, it might be, God, you are the great peacemaker. Or if, I'm, if what I'm, I'm concerned about is somebody's health, you are the great healer, God. You are a healer. You are a healer. I keep it to three or four words, very short. I repeat it, and what happens is I notice myself, I repeat it quickly, and then it starts slowing down. 
and my breathing starts slowing down, and I leave a little space between the two, between phrases, okay? And what God will do when, usually once I slow down enough, is he will start inserting, inserting words in there, in between those, those lines, and what it, he's doing is he's just building me up, all right? He is building me back into exactly what I am, that I couldn't remember because things were spinning around in my head too fast, okay? And that's what that's for. It is for just filling you up. It is not a time to, I do no prayer requests during that time. I don't, I, it's not a conversation. As soon as he tells me something in my mind, I go back to the, you are holy, you are holy. And things that I'll hear is, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're courageous. He's telling me who I am in Christ and, and filling up my, my heart bucket, for lack of a better word. And that's what I need to actually make some of those decisions that I've been praying about. That's what I need to, for wisdom and clarity. And so that's one of the best ways I've found to be able to, to actually clear my mind enough and feel like my heart is full when I'm doing ministry. He guides me along the, path of, of the, along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, when I first read this... When he says it, it means that I'm going to wander off the path because obviously he has to tell me to stay on the right path. So yes, I will wander off the path. Um, but how does that happen? How do I wander off the path and how do I keep from wandering? The best way for me to keep from wandering is prayer and fasting. And fasting for me has become a part of my life. It is something I can't do without. It is a part of the way that my week is scheduled um, it's when something is also even independently going on that I am uncertain about. I know I need God into. There's gonna, it's, it's gonna start with fasting. Um, there's a blog or there's an article on Renew that I wrote that kind of talks about my journey and how I got there because I wasn't always that way. Uh, in the beginning, I thought fasting, that's for like the super Christian. That's for like the ones that really know what they're doing. Um, and, and I've had food issues in the past, so it was, I mean, I can't give up, like, real food. I mean, I could give up certain parts of food, but I can't give this up for real. And so, um, and, and so I was starting to become convicted for lots of different reasons, and now it is, it is part of my worship. It grounds me. It clears my mind. It's an opportunity for me to take action on the things that I don't feel like I have anything I can do. So those places in life and those people in life and those situations that I know I have no control over and that I'm not even an influence on, it actually gives me something to do. Uh, I look forward to my fast days, and I know if I don't have them that I am not a good disciple maker. When I coach women through Renew, uh, I t- and actually in our church too, I'm going to become more bold in, my, in our church. I decided that this week, actually, that if they're not willing to fast for the women that they're discipling and who they should disciple, then they need to maybe rethink what it looks like to be a disciple maker. So, and I don't say that to say, well, the bar is here and you must reach it. It is for you. It will, it will change your life um, if you really lean into it. And I truly do understand that there are people that for medical reasons cannot fast. I, I get that and I respect that. And if you have eating disorder baggage and some of the other baggage like that, I totally get that. Um, and have talked through a lot of people through fasting, um, with using other methods. 
and, and I really do get that. But if there's any re reason, um, any, if there's not any reason why uh, you can't, I would suggest starting. Start really simple. Start with breakfast. Start, don't try to do a 24-hour or 72-hour fast. Uh, there's a book by Dave Clayton, and I put that, I think, on the bottom of your sheet, too. Revival Starts Here. It is a wonderful, simple read. It's a great read. Um, you can get it on Amazon, and you can get it through, um, through Renew. And it is a practical guide to how to fast and how you can do it with your family and all of that, and it's really a wonderful resource. Our whole church uh, participated in a big fast and um, several, a couple times last year. And I would just, I would encourage you that uh, the biggest change in my heart came after doing it for about a year and a half. You know when you're, when God kind of just does that to you because you've been thinking the wrong way, and then he's like, okay, you're actually ready for me to tell you the right thinking. Um, so for a long time, I thought I was fast. I was the one sacrificing. I was sacrificing my food. I was sacrificing for him. I'm a pretty awesome Christian because I'm sacrificing for him. And obviously, I was, didn't quite go that far um, in that prideful, arrogant way. But, but deep down, if I were to peel it back, I felt pretty good about myself for fasting. Um, and then God said, you know what? I don't actually need you to do it. You need to do it. You need it, not me. And I was on a prayer walk because I kind of do that usually at the end of my fast day. And I was like, oh, well, that changes things, doesn't it? That puts it in a different perspective. I do need this. And, and that was a big turning point because all of a sudden it was part of worship for me. And all of a sudden it was, it was what I need to be able to minister well. I know if I have skipped fasting for whatever reason, I, I, I can tell because <laughs> I can only handle about a week's worth of stuff. So, uh, so that's why I do it weekly. So I was in Gatlinburg recently, and like that picture said before, and I had already committed with a group of women that I was coaching that I would fast with them on Monday because I'm trying to disciple them in fasting. And so, great, that sounds good. Well, then I forgot we were going out of town, and so I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll, I'll do it out of town, sure. Well, the hotel had a breakfast, hot breakfast buffet bar thing. And so I go downstairs and to leave to go to that other picture. And y'all, I don't even eat bacon, but it was wafting into the elevator. And the homemade waffles they were making, and, and it was free. I mean, we paid for it, obviously, in the you know, bill. But, but it, was, it, was, it was provided for us. And I'm cheap, I'm really cheap. And so I'm walking through the lobby, and I'm like, okay, nope, I'm just going to keep walking. I'm just going to keep walking. Just keep straight, look straight ahead, not at, like the 40 really happy people chomping on their bacon. Just keep walking. But what God prompted me to do in that was to share with the women that I was discipling, to say, you know what, pray for me. This is going to be a hard fast morning. Because as soon as I walked out, also, all the restaurants that are in Gatlinburg apparently have fans that blow the smell of really yummy waffles at you in the morning to get you to come in and pancakes to come in and the fudge. They start cooking the fudge about that time too. So, um, but, but I, I say that to encourage you to fast with somebody else. Share what the experience is like. Share what you are praying through during it. Um, share the hard stuff when it's a really hard day. I know for a couple times, I got to the end of my day, and I was like, wow, this has been great. I've been so distracted all day. I haven't even thought about being hungry. Well, I also didn't really think much about praying. <laughs> and I slipped through my day without ever actually being on my knees. 
And so I need to pray for actual hunger um, because God is my nourishment on those days, and I need to, I need to want him. Uh, so I encourage you to do it as a group. Uh, make sure I hit all my, my topics, parts on here. Set aside a time to pray during that fast. Um, I block off a time, or I try to as much as possible, block off a time that I am going to dedicate to fast. Um, and usually I'll do like an axe prayer or something like that. And, and I can talk to you afterwards more about that if you're, if you're interested. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Well, again, my first question is, who are my enemies? Well, I can name one, which is standing right here before you. I am probably my biggest enemy. I know that in the big picture, Satan is the enemy, but he uses me. He uses my husband. He uses my children. He uses my marriage. He uses my ministry. He really likes my ministry, and he likes the woman that that sent me that text this morning because she can be my enemy at times. And so recognize that. Recognize that Satan is using those people, especially the lies that you're believing in your head, so that you can decide that you are not going to believe those. You are going to decide that you know the source where they're coming from. And so you can decide, no, I'm not going there. Not going to go there today. Not going to go there. Because our cup needs to be overflowing. Because the world is going to tell us that we should be anxious, that we should be fearful, that we should be overwhelmed. Well, it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It says just the opposite. But if you are not plugged in and you are not identifying what those lies that you're believing and what the world is telling you and who is pushing on you, um, then you're not going to be able to fight them the way that God wants us to. Um, He wants to be used in that fight. And if we're not identifying it, then we're not able to actually be armed and ready for the fight. So I would encourage you to actually look at that. And so the action plan for that is know the season of life you are in. Okay, you'll be attacked in different ways depending on your season, but don't leave yourself open to it because you're in a difficult season. Like I, there's a woman on our staff who's, whose father is dying of cancer right now. Her husband is fighting cancer. She has three teenagers. You know what? Now's not the time for her to be looking for people to disciple. Now's the time for her to hunker down and, and take care of her home. If you've got several small children, disciple them. All right? Your husband is your first priority if you are married. If you're not, your friends and your family are your first priority. Lean into those people first. Make sure that you have the bandwidth to do that. If you do not, then you need to start rearranging things so you can. My husband and I, he's actually in the back. He's uh, taking care. Our, our children just left for college. So we have a junior and we have a freshman in college. So we are empty nesters. Raw. It's a good thing. It's actually awesome. Um, it really is. But we were really bad at it the first week. So they left the roof gone like on a Thursday. So that first week, at the end of the week, I looked at my husband and I'm like, we really kind of suck at this empty nesting thing. Neither of us were home any night that week. And so we actually hadn't seen each other all week. And so Friday night, I'm like, okay, <laughs> time to call it. Uh, we need to go have dinner together and we actually need to have a conversation about, about this new stage of life and what's going on. Um, but make those relationships your first priority. All right. Make sure you have the bandwidth for that. And if you do not have that, then meet with somebody that you that feels like they've got their priorities in line and ask them what they're doing, ask them how they're doing it, and ask them to hold you accountable. Uh, do not search for opportunities in ministry. Pray about it, fast about it. God will bring them across your path. 
You do not have to hold one of those signs on the street corners that you turn, all right, to look for people to lean into, to look for ministry opportunities. God will bring them to you. Uh, Just pray and fast about it. Now, if you are not open to them or you put the big, you know, hand up, then that's a different story. But don't go volunteering everywhere that you can possibly volunteer because you all have something that many, 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 or most don't, and that's a heart for discipleship or you wouldn't be here today, okay? You wouldn't be at this conference. And so God's got a plan to use you in that. Develop intimate relationships. So when I say intimate relationships, I am saying the women in your life, let them know you, okay? Warts and all, let them know you. And it's not just for that negative accountability thing, because we've all heard that, that somebody needs to know what you're struggling with so they can be praying for you and they can hold you accountable. And yes, that's true. I'm talking about the people in your life that can listen to your, hey, how are you doing? When they say it and you go, yeah, I'm good. They can tell the difference between, yeah, I'm good and yeah, good. They can tell the difference between those and they'll actually follow up on it. Okay, you have to have those in your life. What we call them, what I call them is a shepherd doodle. If you've never heard the term, it is, and I mean it in the kindest of ways, um, it's a labradoodle that they have at a lot of the funeral homes now. And I think they have it at maybe some of the, the counseling centers and things. And what the one that, that was the one that we were interacting with, they called it a shepherd doodle. And it just walked between the hurting people that were at the funeral and it would just stop. It knew who to stop at and you could just pet it. Or you could just lean down and just like be in its face instead of having the people around you. And it was just a wonderful example of just that quiet walk by and see who's okay, see who's okay. So you may have met Karen out front. She's the person that's the, at the registration desk. She kind of answers all the questions. Well, she's one of my shepherd doodles. And she likes being called that, so I'm not saying anything behind her back. But she's the one that I can look at, especially at a big event at our church, And she can tell by the look on my face if I need to be rescued from a conversation. Like, don't say that you guys aren't rescued from conversations, right? I know, in the lobby, you've got that person that you're like, okay, you're trying to back up and you can't get away. Well, she rescues. She's my rescuer. She also knows somehow when I'm dehydrated. I don't know how she knows it, but she just shows up with water. I have asked her before to go check all the women's bathrooms for toilet paper. On Wednesday, when we had the Renew Conference, which is there next door, we had it at our church, and there was a toilet stopped at. And I couldn't get to it. And we didn't have anybody. I couldn't rate. Everybody was busy. And so I said, hey. So, and she's like, what's going on? What can I fix? I'm like, the women's bathroom. I understand there's a toilet that needs to be. She's like, I'm on it. And she just goes and she disappears. And so I know that if there's something I need, she's on it. And she'll call me later. If it's not an appropriate time to find out how I'm doing, really find out how I'm doing, she'll call me later and just say, hey, how you doing? But we don't have to talk for two weeks, three weeks. And it's still the relationship is there. The trust is there. Find those people in your life. You need them, especially in ministry. You need them. You need to be able to trust them. And that's a good thing, okay? And she doesn't, rarely does, do I need to do that for her, but there are times. But mostly she's doing it for me, if I'm honest. And, and she's good with that. And so just have those people in your life. It's, it's vital. Well, what does healthy discipleship look like? Okay, so I'm going to have to apologize for my lack of skill on the um, slides. First of all, I didn't realize till the middle of the night I was scrolling through the slides in my head that it, it's a bathroom lady. It's actually a bathroom lady that's in the bottom left-hand corner there. Um, yeah, so you're going to see a fair amount of her um, in the next couple slides, but it didn't really dawn on me until I'm talking in the middle of the night that it was 
the symbol, universal symbol for a bathroom. So anyway, little side note. So um, the top, so this is, this is our, our person, right? The top is Jesus. And you know what? I couldn't change it to yellow because of who I am. And so, uh, so just envision that. And when I'm talking about Jesus, I'm talking about the stuff that comes from, I'm talking about peace, patience, kindness, all of those things, that courage, the boldness, all of those things that we are striving for when we are truly walking right next to the King of Kings. All right. That's, that's the vision on the top of that mountain, right? Well, this jungle in the middle is the world. All right. The world gets between us and our King. And what happens to us when we are walking by ourselves? Um, we're, a new, we're a new believer or we're, we've been around a while, um, but we've never been discipled. Well, what happens is, is this. Again, hopefully you can see it. Again, my skills are really minimal. My husband in the back is like cringing because he would have loved to have, let, have me let him fix all these slides, but yeah. Uh, so, so hopefully you can see this weird route of, of highlighted yellow. Well, this is what happens to us. It happens to everybody when they're trying to walk by themselves and they don't have the skills to do it. So they're walking along and an obstacle comes in their path, right? They're on the path. They think they're on the path to Jesus. They see him over there. I'm going to get there. They walk along their path. All of a sudden, they get a bad evaluation at work. Whew, turn. I'm going to turn this way because I don't want to deal with that. I'm not going to deal with that in a biblical way because I don't know how or I just don't want to. Well, then they're walking along again, and their teenager goes off the rails. Oh, got to change paths again. So every time there's an obstacle in their path, they just keep changing, okay? They keep changing directions. And it takes them quite a while to get actually to Jesus, all right? So what we do is we come along, and now I have two people that need to go to the restroom. (laughs) So, and even the slide is very... Blurry, it's beautiful. So, um, so what we do as a, as a discipler is we come along next to them and we start, hey, identifying the things along the path. Because I have worked with women that they can't tell the difference between a stick and a boulder. I, I, there's a woman that, that I actually disciple her discipler, so I'm, I'm the second generation, right, from her. And, but she knows that we're all working together because she's, she's pretty complicated. It's, a, it's kind of a, her life is a little bit of a mess. And so the three of us work together. And Lisa called me one day because Christy, who's her discipler, said, I don't know what to tell you. Call Michelle. So that's fine. So she calls me, and she goes to this big, long story. But the very first sentence out of her mouth was, I'm going to need to divorce my husband. I said, okay, maybe we should back up a little bit. Why don't you tell me more about the story? Okay. The story was, was about this big of a, of, a, of a branch. It was not the boulder that she had made it into. She couldn't tell the difference between something that was a 12 out of 10 and something that was a 4 out of 10. All right, so first of all, I got to say, yeah, no, that's not a biblically defined divorce. So let's take it off the table, and now let's, let's see what this really is and what this is really about. And so we did that, and we talked it through, and I was able to give her the tools that she needed to be able to still stay on her path but get through this obstacle. And that's what a good discipler does, all right? They give them tools then to stay on the path. The other thing they do is they hold the lantern over the path, all right? So when, when inevitably they make a turn... You're standing there, just hold your lantern up a little higher and say, come on back to the path. Come on back to the path. You don't need to go in that direction. But I don't go chasing after them. I don't run into their crazy tornado to pull them out of the tornado. They can, they can jump out of their tornado if they really want to. 
I will hold the path, the light, though, above the path because I want them to come back. All right? So, but then what happened is you guys are disciple makers. So you are making disciple makers, right? So then what happened is then I called Christy and said, hey, this is the conversation I had with Lisa, and this is what I told her, and this is how we're going to handle it. And she says, fantastic. So now the next time that Lisa has this, what she perceives as a boulder in her path, Christy now has the ability to walk her through that, all right? And so we even had a meeting two weeks ago because they were at an impasse. And so I came in, and I got to be the bad cop and, uh, and tell some hard truths. And then, we, then once Lisa left, Christy and I debriefed that conversation. And that's how we make disciple makers, all right? We were not meant, this was not meant to stop. The apostles were making disciple makers. They weren't just making disciples because otherwise it would have stopped at one generation of believers. And that's not the plan. And so we have to do the same thing. And that's kind of, we, we have to be thinking, especially with your, this crowd, we have to be thinking the next generation out and the next generation out, just not stopping at the, at the first generation. Okay, so you know what, y'all? I don't know how to build a bridge. There are times when you're discipling somebody that you will be above your pay grade. Refer out. Counseling is a good thing, all right? Celebrate recovery and other recovery programs are good things. You can still work with the person that is in counseling. I do it all the time. They go see their counselor every couple weeks, and we debrief in between. I ask them, what did your counselor say? Okay, well, let's, how are we going to implement that? So that's okay. That is perfectly legit. I regularly tell people I do not know what to do if you need a bridge. This is what we're shooting for, y'all. This is what we're shooting for. Um, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So another quote from Dallas Willard's book is, God, I want to give you every minute of this year. I shall try to keep you in my mind every moment of every waking hour. I shall try to let you do the speaking and and direct my every word. I shall try to let you direct my acts. I shall try to learn your language. And what I love is that last sentence, I shall try to learn your language. So people that speak more than one language, which I don't, um, but the people that do say, you know you know the language when you think in that language. I want to think in God's language. I want to be walking so closely with him that I'm not questioning if your will be done. What is your will? What is your will? What is your will? I want to be walking so closely that I'm like, you know what? This is in his will. This is, the Bible says that, that this, this, and this happens. So I'm in his will. And so I want to be walking that closely with him, that intimate, that relationship. But that's what the apostles had. They were walking that closely. And so they were able to go in boldness and courageousness to be able to, to do his works, do his will. And that's where I want to live so that I know his language. And so I'm speaking his words and I'm being completely filled with his joy and his love. And as I was thinking about that, it got me onto identity, um, onto an issue about identity versus uh, roles. And we're going to kind of end on that. This is a busy slide again, but I'm discipling a few women and, and was giving a talk uh, to our, we have a marriage and mothering class. And I was giving a talk, and I was actually giving the sex talk to them, um, which was kind of entertaining um, in a whole different way. But, but what I was finding in the, in the young women that I was discipling, young moms, as well as in this class, is there was so much fear and anxiety uh, about their mothering and about just their lives in general and who they were as women. And then I was thinking about the women that were in my stage of life and a little bit, little bit older than my stage, and I thought, why does it feel like, seem like their skin fits? 
Like, it feels like the women in their 40s and 50s were starting to just feel like, okay, I'm comfortable. Well, what I realized was, was that my role hasn't changed in 10 years. I have not had a major role change in my life in 10 years. Okay, except for the whole empty nesting thing that happened, and that was pretty awesome. But I haven't had a big role change. And this, the woman that I was discipling that's about 27, she has gone through so many. So she, in five years, she finished school, she got a job, she got married, she had a child, she stopped working. Well, now in each one of those, there's about four other roles inside of it. So when you get married, you are now all of a sudden a daughter-in-law, you have a mother-in-law, you have new aunts and uncles. You have all these different roles that you are with them. Your, your relationship with your mother changes when you have children and even when you become an adult. So all of these role changes made it so she was lost between her roles and her identity because she was feeling like she wasn't successful because she had this infant that she didn't know what to do with. Well, guess what? None of us knew what we were doing with our young children. And, but she was so caught up in that role that she couldn't see the other side of it. She couldn't see that her identity had not changed. And so what we're working through is her identity. And we're working to ground her identity. A great book on that is Victory Over Darkness, um, that actually Neil Anderson is selling out here. That is a fabulous book on identity. I'm sure there are other amazing ones out there. That's just the one that I use. Find a couple of good resources that y'all are your go-tos because that will save you time and energy for the next person that has very similar issues when you already know what it is that you're going to go to for that. So I've got a couple of them like that that, that I kind of go to and, and I can meet with somebody and I already know the chapters and I already know what I'm going to talk about. So that's what we were, we were leaning into because if she can get her, her identity grounded in the love of Christ and exactly who she is in God as the daughter of a king as royalty, as a priesthood, if she can leave, the ebbs and flows that come with the role changes are not going to be these big dips like this, okay? So as you're discipling people, really look at that, really listen to see if they may be having some issues between their roles and your identity. And if you are, please find somebody that you know is grounded in their identity and glean from them. Become a disciple, Ask them to disciple you in this area. That is okay. If they are younger than you, older than you, it doesn't matter. If they know who they are in Christ, take the information, ask them how they do it, and then lean into that because that will make all the difference in the world with all the seasons of life changing because that is the diff- that's the thing about roles is they change. There's fear when you go into a new role, and there's anxiety when you go into a new role, and there's also loss when you leave a role. It may be exciting to get married, but there's also a loss to your singleness. And having a baby is the same way. There's exciting to have that baby, but at the same time, you're like, wow, I don't get to sleep anymore. So there's loss. <laughs> and so just, I, I, this is something that God's really just like pounded into me over the last month or so. So I wanted to share it. Uh, and I'm happy to talk to anybody else more about that too. And I will close with, with Luke 6.45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Instead of the world telling you that you are full of fear, condemnation, and anxiety, lean into what God tells you you are. You are a royal priesthood. You are meant to make disciples. You are good enough. You are loved. You are his precious daughter of the king. So believe that, and um, that's all I've got. Hey, Joanne. That's it for today's episode. 
check out a few sample chapters from the book Dedicated, which we mentioned at the top of this show. It's for parents who want to train their children to trust and follow Jesus. Go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for the green cover and the title Dedicated. Thanks for listening. Until next time.